Today's episode of Vice Versa, Tesla's 8,000 ton Cybertruck casting machine, Tesla Semi should be delivering Pepsi later this year, and a little twist, Intel is going to start building other companies' chips, and a big win for EV makers selling direct to customers. As usual, I'm joined by Ricky Roy. How you doing, Ricky? Doing good, Matt. Doing good. Um, had a good week. I had my vaccination, my first round of vaccination shots on yesterday. Congratulations. And thank you. Yeah, I wasn't really planning on it, but I have a couple of trips coming up, and it was just, we got lucky with timing. And apparently my BMI, which, you know, worked in my favor because I guess I'm fat enough that I call. <laughs> so what was your video this week, by the way? It was about Hyperloop. Um, I was just fascinated by the whole technology behind that. So I thought it'd be fun to put a video together on that. Wasn't really about if it's going to happen or not. It was more of just kind of a, this is really kind of interesting technology and an interesting thing that they're trying to do. Will they succeed? I don't know, but it's a fun video. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of in the same realm of not sure if it's feasible or timeframes, but man, would it be cool and do we need it? I did nuclear fusion this week, which I know you've done before, but yeah. we'll have links to both of our videos this week as always in the description. And I'm um, so glad you guys could make it. Um, and thank you for joining us live. Yeah. All right. So let's start with our very first story. And this is one that Matt and I are pretty excited about, which is that Tesla now has secured orders for the world's first 8,000 ton casting machine. So this is this is um, pretty amazing. And it's actually an evolution from what they've started to do with the Model Y rear section, which is a 6,000 uh, 6, ton casting machine. So really, typically when you build a car, and this is Idra is the company, an Italian company that will be the ones to provide the, um, the machinery. So typically when you build a car, let's see if we can find a video here. So typically when you build a car, you'd have a bunch of smaller parts that are cast, and then you'd either weld them together or rivet them. And the end result is maybe a dozen or a hundred parts that you have to then kind of put together. But when you can cast an entire assembly for the Cybertruck, then that means that you could basically just have a machine big enough. You'd, you know, you'd have this mold kind of like this, but I mean, you can imagine how much bigger it would be in real life. And you could build parts at a scale that would dwarf anything else that any other automaker is doing, which always brought me to my first question, which is, you know, we think of Tesla as, as far as like being so far ahead with things like software, but, and, and we think of them as a, as a tech company, but this is hardcore engineering and Tesla is the first company to be, to be doing this. So it makes me wonder, like, why haven't GM and Ford, why, have, why has nobody else figured this out or, or tried this? Which is kind of my my first point. So anybody in the audience who who knows Sandy Monroe or has a <laughs> has a contact with him, I'd love to have him on the show to, to discuss. But really in incredible stuff, so record breaking stuff. Now, if you remember, there was that little fire. Um, it was around, I think, the six thousand ton machine that they use uh, in Fremont for the Model Y. So this is all pretty new stuff, but this is kind of an evolution of where they are today with the Model Y machine. What do you think, yeah. Matt? Yeah, it's this stuff gets me so excited. It's like this is engineering amplified a thousand times. It's so it's so cool what they're able to do with this. And I was saying to you earlier, it's like this is basically like building matchbox cars <laughs> life size, <laughs> which is so freaking cool that they they know how to do this. They can do this kind of stuff scaled up. And you're you ask a really good question of like why has nobody done this before? My one guess, it's just a wild guess. It's just the expenditure of doing this where all these other companies are totally invested in the way they're doing it. 
and it would be a huge expense and a shift to go into this more risky path where they're taking the cheaper path and the path they've already invested money into, where Tesla is still spinning up, building brand new factories so they can be a little more experimental, push the envelope a little bit more and try things like this. And they're also a first principles, you know, question everything, come at the best path for this solution for what we need to do. So this this kind of technology is just really cool. It's, and I, I also mentioned to you earlier that the IDRA video, when they did their press release video where the CEO is talking about it, you could tell he was beyond proud in that video when he was talking about it because it's like they already did the 6,000 ton machine, which was the largest in the world. And now they're coming out with an 8,000 ton. And it's just like, he looked like he was just like, you know, like a proud father. It was like, it was really kind of a fun video to watch just to see this guy basically bragging and he has every right to brag. And Tesla should be very excited too about pushing the envelope here. Yeah, it just seems like if there's anything cool or new or innovative, it just all comes from one company. And we we want to cover other companies. Like, so yes. we, we hope that other people will do cool Please. stuff and not <laughs> lobby Congress. But anyway, so this is, we were talking about this before, but this is one of those engineering problems that brings with it like a slew of other problems you have to solve as well. Um, you can imagine you're pouring like molten aluminum into like a cast which is one thing if, you know, you have a mold that's pretty small and, you know, it'll form all the cavities and, and fill in nicely. But something that big, I mean, they were talking about the sides and the, the, the kind of the wheel well of the car and all the ribbings and all the kind of load-bearing members. That is an incredibly complicated part. So the cost up front to build a machine like this is astronomical. It's way more expensive than what, like, other automotive makers are doing. But there's other challenges. Like, for one, Tesla actually had to come up with their own um, aluminum for this because the the aluminum uh, the aluminum that they were using in the past wouldn't have worked for this application it wasn't strong enough and you can't heat treat it after the fact because you would risk potentially uh warp and it wouldn't take over this part to get scrapped so they had to come up with their own uh alloys of aluminum uh alloys where I was <laughs> I was blanking on before but they had to come up with their own like metallurgy which is an entire other division that Tesla's really getting hip to with some of the Starship uh, stainless steel and Cybertruck stuff that they were working on. So um, incredible engineering. And you can imagine that the end result of this actually saves them a lot of room on their factory floor. So this machine is like the biggest machine of all time. Like no machine man has ever made is bigger. But the end result of that machine is you actually get like 30% of your floor space back. You don't have to have all these different parts. You don't have to then have them all brought together and assembled together and welding robots that have to weld or tack or rivet these things. And so oddly, it's total first principles thinking. It's like, let's spend a ton of money on this wild and crazy idea. And if it works, it, the end result will be will be really cool. One question I have, though, is if you get like rear-ended, something like that happens. Yeah. This entire part is scrapped, whereas otherwise, maybe you have like eight or nine parts and you have to just you take one off, cut it, and weld a new version to it. But this part is basically anything happens and you and you scrap it. Yeah, which isn't the worst thing if you can just recycle it quickly and they have they just make they make them very very fast. It's all one part of aluminum, so you can easily recycle it. But yeah, what do you what do you, what do you think on some of the cons of it? I that would be one of my big questions. I'd want to talk to like say, brought up Sandy Monroe. It's like love to talk to him because I wonder if. It sounds like it would be like a really expensive proposition to fix damage, but I wonder if it's not. I wonder if it actually might make it easier just to basically swap it out the entire back end with a brand new part. I don't know if it actually makes it easier or harder. It's, I'm really curious. Um, it, it, 
in theory makes it stronger so maybe it's more resistant to getting damage like that um i'd want to talk to to somebody like sandy uh but i'm glad you also brought up the material science because tesla's material scientists team cannot be understated and clearly there's a synergy between the material material scientists that work on spacex and tesla because they're doing some crazy stuff with metals and for things that can withstand re-entering an atmosphere and then taking that same stuff and they're gonna put it on a cyber truck it's like there's clearly some next level things they're doing when it comes to material science it's it's i don't see that coming out of gm or ford but could be wrong but it that's another reason maybe why they nobody else is going the route of these gigantic casting machines because it's just a it's not just as simple as so just plug in a casting machine there's a, like a thousand things that ripple off of that that you have to figure out there's there's also uh, somebody mentioned the insurance does not pay to repair so there's there's some questions i have around kind of the cost to repair parts that that do this but the other part of this is this lends itself really nicely to the structural bar, uh, battery pack so mm -hmm. traditional Teslas until now have had battery kind of packs that you slide into the car. So the pack itself has some rigidity. Um, it has more metal and more mass that has to be required. And then you put these packs together. The, the future of Tesla is going to be imagine like this middle structural part that has kind of a top and bottom sheet. And the batteries would go into it and be kind of glued in. And the batteries itself would act as kind of a structural part. So it wouldn't just be battery. Uh, energy storage, it would also be like structural member. So when when you do that, to my mind, it becomes like the iPhone where everything's kind of soldered. It's all one piece, which has a lot of pros, maybe some cons, like if you had a couple of bad cells or something, I don't know how you would really address that very easily. Um, but just give it to Tesla for, for just rethinking all this. And I remember in that video that Elon had uh, at Battery talking about this, he doesn't even think companies that aren't doing this, where it's structural battery, he doesn't even think companies that don't do that will even be competitive in terms of like price and like energy density and stuff like that. Because you can get rid of a ton of extra filler stuff that doesn't actually give you range. Yep. It's if you think of, I don't know if it's like an exact analogy, but think about the phones. It's like their phones used to have replaceable batteries and nobody does that anymore because it's probably more cost effective and just as good just to seal everything together in a tight little package. It's got more rigidity. It's got, you know, it's a better package and it lasts just as long and it's like there's no need to do it any other way so i wonder if this is gonna be the same thing like he could be dead right about like you'll probably see more and more companies go down this path because it's the most economical way to do it yeah my one fear because tesla's goal is to be very environmentally like forward thinking and um is i had an ipad that i cracked the screen on i took it to a repair shop asking them like how much would it cost to repair and that whole like touch digitizer and that whole layer is so complicated now on yeah. these newer iPads that basically if you put a crack in it, throw it away because it's not even worth it. It was like $500 to get a new screen and it was like 600 and something to just get a new iPad. So yeah. the, you know, that's that, an iPad is one thing, but if we're talking like a car, like the, it takes a lot of carbon emissions. It takes a lot of resources to build a car. You'd love to keep them out on the road and be able to repair and keep them on the road. So I know Teslas are so complicated already that they do scrap pretty easily. Like it just the repair costs are so high. There's not a lot of spare parts available, things like that. So um, I would love to deep dive into this more. Maybe we'll, we need to get a, somebody uh, who can come on as a guest and talk about this. Cause that is the one concern that I have as excited as I am about everything else that they're doing. Yeah, I agree. Next story is the Tesla semi, which has been getting a lot of news recently over the past like few weeks and months. There's been a lot of Tesla semi news. 
And this one is, uh, there's going to be 15 vehicles supposedly delivering Pepsi later this year. Um, this one I thought was really kind of cool because uh, Pepsi was kind of, had a press release about how they've been going green and trying to reduce their carbon footprint. And they've talked about how they've reduced their diesel usage by 78%. They've cut greenhouse gas emissions by 53%. Uh, their, one of their plants is pretty much run on renewable energy or carbon credits. And they use 60 electric tractors, box trucks, yard trucks, and forklifts. And in the report, they said, and 15 remaining tractors later this year. And what I found fascinating was, I think it was Electric confirmed that those 15 remaining tractors, they confirmed with Pepsi that they are Tesla semis. And I find it interesting that they refer to them as tractors, <laughs> not semis. But they're, they're going to be getting these in... Uh, getting these for this year, which is surprising to me because I wasn't sure that they were going to be coming out this year, especially because of the pandemic and things getting slowed down. I thought it might not be till next year that we'd start to see these things on the road. But since it is only 15, it's a small delivery. It's going to be really cool to actually see these things, not on just a test track, but to actually see them on the roads doing deliveries and starting to make a difference. Yeah, this is, to me, it, it kind of a direct tie into their 4680 supply. And We've been seeing kind of reports I've seen on Twitter that there's, they've actually got a pretty good, they've got a good line for supply and they're, they're actually be able to get a decent yield. So if you think about where will the 4680 cells go first, uh, Plaid Plus Model S, the top of the top of the line, it'll be the, the semi, it'll be Cybertruck uh, and Roadster. Roadster, I think, is going to get pushed furthest out as the least important, I think, for the company. So you have Cybertruck coming up first. And then, and then this, and I think this is a good move for Tesla because you have all, you've had all these other companies talking about uh, semis and bigger commercial vehicles, and Tesla's been kind of quiet. So I think it's kind of one of those moves where, like, hey, we're still here. We're, you know, we're, we're doing laps around racetracks and stuff. Don't, you know, don't, don't forget about us. And they're going to have some kind of a smaller contract here. Pepsi's a good starting point. They'll probably have others. And I've always said this truck wasn't possible until forty six eighty. And structural pack and a couple of other things, really good cooling is going to be uh, required as well. So, I think this is a look at what Tesla is going to be able to pull off when they have, yeah, and you know, a gig Austin. I'm not sure if they'll have lines ready this year for uh, 4680 supply, but when they do, this is where they'll finally be able to make them because they really didn't have enough cells to make the semi before. Yeah. And I don't know how much profit margin is built into one of them, but. One semi or like five or six Model S's or Model 3's, right? So Yeah. And they're not the only company building semis like this. I mean, there are still, I know it's, you know, I'm not talking Nikola, but there are hydrogen variants of semis coming. There are other battery electric semis coming from a bunch of different companies. Uh, there's a lot of movement here, but Tesla had a lead on everybody else, and then they just kind of went quiet with this. And so I was very excited to start seeing this kind of bubbling back up again of like, no, Tesla still has that lead. They're most likely going to have the first ones out there before the others finally start to deliver too. So it's, it's I'm just excited to start seeing these on the roads. I agree. I agree. I still think they're the most beautiful. I think some of the other companies have some cool designs, but Tesla's, I mean, that'll be cool to see that on the road. I can't wait mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. All right. The next one is a story that I keep bringing up and I keep putting on the board. And it has to do with what... One of the things that has happened as a result of the pandemic is we have had a chip shortage. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And this story in particular is about how Intel is going to start to build other people's chips. 
And I think this is one of the most important news stories in the last week or two. And the reason I say that is because, first of all, Intel is one of the most legendary chip makers on earth. They were the ones that pretty much pioneered this entire industry. And they've been kind of, they've been in a bad way of late. And it started with AMD and Ryzen when they came out a couple of years ago with Ryzen. They they now have, they've been losing out market share to companies like AMD for a while. So Intel has been in a little bit of a slump and it has to do with their their consumer products and even their like Xeon server stuff because AMD has parts for that. They call, I think it's Epic. So they've been losing market share for some time now. And under their new leadership, I think they're starting to get the memo that, you know, we, we need to really get our act together. They are still a little behind in terms of they don't have like a seven nanometer process yet. I think they're working on a 10 nanometer process, which like TSMC and Global Foundry, some of these other bigger companies have uh, a, a more advanced process. But this is really important because I think the previous administration and Joe Biden and the current administration both have identified that this is a major national security issue. If we have to, we, we have to uh, lean on TSMC and other international companies for our chips, that is a huge problem because when things shift, when, uh, you know, when China and the U.S. are not as friendly as they once were, when new Chinese companies are on demand for having chips and they can't fulfill other countries' orders, things can get really bad. So Matt and I were talking before the show, there's an entire line of Chevy Colorado, the midsize pickup trucks that are going to get shut down for like two weeks because they don't have these, uh, the chips that they need, these custom silicon SOCs that run their cars. So one thing is that we think of all this stuff as fancy and advanced, like, oh, a Tesla has all these computers. Every car has a computer in it. Without a computer, you can't run digital fuel injection and have a map sensor for your flow rate for your ox, all the stuff that happens in any gas car. So this is a huge concern. And so what Intel's posing to do is start to build chips for other companies. So you have a reference design like, hey, Apple, you have an M1 you want to make? We could be one of those foundries that we could build your, we can be a fab house that can build that chip design for you. The problem is they have tried this before and it didn't work out well. And the reason is because some of the tools and standardizations that people wanted to see, they weren't really hip with. They kind of wanted it and kind of push their own kind of standard. And that's what happens when you're the top dog. You don't really think of it as, as um, in quite the same way that other people might. But this to me is really crucial for Intel because Intel is a, an American national treasure, like if you're from the U.S., this is a company that like we all like we can we can look at Intel for a lot of what has happened for us in terms of like just how much computational power has evolved. And if they're going to stay relevant in the age of like ARM processors and stuff, they have this cool new take on ARM, like a risk um, compute set that they think could be even better than what people are doing with ARM chips and stuff. A little bit nerdy, nerding out here, but the basic bottom line is we need to have companies in the U.S. that could build uh, computer chips. Otherwise, a national security measure is what exactly what it is. Imagine if you can't build rockets or uh, fighter aircraft and stuff because China decides, no, I don't think we're going to export any more, uh, any more computer chips to you guys. So this is a big move. I think Intel's making the right steps here, and I'm hoping that they can figure this out and, and it could be a profitable enterprise. It will be a couple years, though. They're not ready for this yet. And they're still behind, so they have a lot of catching up to do before they could take customers. Before they, so it's early, but I think it's the right move. I 
I agree with you. I'm a little more pessimistic on this than you are. It's like, I agree with you completely. It's like, we need like specifically for the United States, we need this kind of expertise happening here in the country. You laid out all the reasons why, and I completely agree with it. And having Intel building uh, fabs in Arizona, it's like, this is great. But they are so far behind when it comes to this. There's a reason that they're behind. It's like, I think the best that they have is a 10 nanometer process where TSMC is at what, five nanometers now? It's like, it's like everybody else is like way ahead of them. They're not only lagging behind on their processes, but one, they're not doing this. Two, it takes a couple of years to spin up a fab. It's like they are just behind every which way you look at this. So best case scenario, you're probably looking at something like five years down the line. Maybe they're a little competitive because they have these plants spun up and maybe they've started to catch up on the nanometer process. And they this thing that they're talking about being like kind of the next generation arm, it's like maybe that starts to pan out. But you're looking like five years down the line. And it's like that's a long road when you consider where the competition is today. And the competition is not standing still. So... Yikes. Um, I just, I'm a little more pessimistic on, <laughs> on the way, the way things are looking for Intel. Cause they've been struggling badly the past few years. Cause they keep promising their next advancements in chips and they keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed. That to me just shows that there's a significant issue with whatever they're doing internally that they really have to figure out. This is a step in the right direction. I'm just hoping it's not a step too late. I hear that entirely. I think uh, you're <laughs> that's more than grounded and, and more than uh, deserved. They mentioned in the, in the article that they're building a, a couple of plants, I think, in Arizona. And their own admission, they won't even be up and running for like two years. So really, if everything went right, we're talking like 2023, which is a far time horizon. Um, all that being said, I mean, what's the alternative? America would have no... Uh, you know, silicon manufacturing capabilities, which would be really depressing, right? Because AMD doesn't make their own chips. They, they outsource it to Global Foundry, uh, also, I think, in China. So there's, there's, I mean, the alternative is pretty depressing. So as far as I'm concerned, they've got to kind of get their uh, act together. I will say this, though. I've always said Intel is kind of a, um, a case study for what the importance of competition, because from like the 2010s until like 2017 when Ryzen came out, they were utterly unchallenged. There was nobody. And they just completely rested on their laurels. They shipped a four-core i7 for year after year after year after year. And it was not until Ryzen came along that they anything, anything changed on that front. And the prices got higher and the performance kept getting worse. People were thinking Moore's Law is over. No, Intel's just not trying because they don't need to. Yeah. So I will say this is why I'm always looking for other electric vehicle makers to emerge because I think competition is the key. I, it sounds crazy to think that Tesla could never get stale or stagnant, but let's say Elon, uh, you know, Tesla's just taking over the world and they're worth $10 billion or $10 trillion and Elon leaves in three or four years. This could happen in Tesla as well if there's no other competition. So uh, I think it's important to have competition and I think it's important to have some national capacity here in the U.S. So while I'm, I'm with you, I'm just trying to be optimistic because, I mean, I don't know what else to do at this point. <laughs> well, I do, agree, I do agree with that sentiment completely. It's like, I, well said, well said. All right. So Tesla is launching the Tesla Energy Plan in Australia with the hopes of lowering the electricity rates using a virtual power plant. And if you don't know what a virtual power plant is, it's just everybody's home batteries work together as just a big, massive, like, mega pack for a city or a, a region. 
It's a, they're pretty cool. Um, they've been rolling out in Australia. I think that was one of the first places in the world that did it. Um, it was shortly after Elon did that interview. I think it was on, on 60 Minutes in Australia where they brought up how several pe people in poverty in Australia couldn't afford their electricity prices. And it really hit Elon hard. He said, we have to do better. And ever since then, he's been doing these really kind of cutting edge things in Australia with like the Hornsdale Power Reserve, with this virtual power plant system where they were going to install up to, I think it was 50,000 solar panels and power walls through people's homes. They haven't installed 50,000 from what I've seen. It's only a few thousand, but it's, it's a kind of a cutting edge thing that they're doing in these locations to try to help drive prices down. And the thing that they're doing with this Tesla power plan is they're making it a very simple kind of like sign up procedure and the sales pitch is very simple and clean. It's like, if you sign up, buy your power wall, you'll get, you know, a couple hundred dollars every year from this um, pricing scheme. And you'll be having up to 50 times a year, your power wall will help the local community by, by participating in the virtual power plant system. So this, this whole system, it's very actually similar to what's happening. Um, it's very similar to what's happening in my area. It's like in my area, I'm part of a virtual power plant system with my power wall. It's called Connected Solutions. And it works very much the same way. It's I There's a limit, I think, of 20 or 30 times uh, during the summer that they can take advantage of your power wall. And the winter, I think, is like five times. And depending on how much energy you're contributing to the system, you get a kickback at the end of the year. And this is a very similar system that's just a very nicely packaged kind of marketing plan to really trying to kind of sell it to people to get them to buy in because it really does help to reduce the cost of owning a Powerwall because it's expensive up front, but programs like this really help to pay it off very quickly. So you don't have to wait eight or nine years to get that payback from your solar and battery. It's going to be much shorter because you're participating in a, a community virtual power plant system. This is a very... It's very cool news. I just like to see what they're doing, trying to make this very easily palatable to the public. It's it's very easy to understand what they're they're packaging here. Yeah, and they've been kind of slowly inching toward this, where you know they now have their own inverters that they design. They used to use, I think it was Solar Edge. Now they have their own. Yep. Um, it's it's kind of been building to this point. My my question is really about kind of battery capacity. I think they. I'm, I'm wondering if some of the battery supply that they get from like CATL or some of the other com uh, companies in China are at play for how, you know, for what goes into the power walls. I'm, I'm not sure if they covered that or what, what goes into it. But this is an example of where a power wall or solar isn't a nice to have. Like for you and I, um, well, this could be debated because, I mean, if there was a, an, a power outage, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be nice to have. But the reality is in my last 10 years of where I live, we've been without power maybe twice for a couple of hours or something. If I had no solar and no battery, we would have been we would have been okay. But there are regions in the world where this is not a nice to have. This is kind of the backbone of how you bring any sort of reliability to a power grid. Hawaii comes to mind as well. Places where you can't just like tie into other people's grids, you're kind of on an island if you will. So they've they've had issues with like fires and I mean it's it's a it's a tough part of the world, you know, the, the outback. It's there's the energy energy population is kind of kind of a densely packed in one region and the generation happens elsewhere. It, it's just, it's been a tough problem. And Tesla is now coming in and being the solution, which to me is more than just making money in terms of like, you know, the next time we see their earnings report, we, we always talk about how much battery supply they're there. So that those numbers are going to keep going up, which is great. But even just the, the PR, 
Like Tesla and batteries solves the day. That's what I think yes. we need more people to hear instead of windmills are cute. Um, what was the quote? Windmills, windmills are cute uh, fashion accessories that freeze when <laughs> they yeah. get cold. So I just love what they're doing. I think, and you mentioned that they're using the virtual power plant. I wonder if there's any like auto bidder action going on or how that's playing into it. What I understand, it's, it's, I don't know if it is, is auto-bidder, but it's systems like that. It's kind of a machine learning thing that's happening that triggers it and organizes everything together and figures out how everything's going to work. And that's the other side of it. It's like, these, these are proven now. It's like we've, right. the Hornsdale Power Reserve proved itself in less than a year, having basically earned its keep in what it's doing. And these virtual power plant systems are doing the same exact thing. And so it's like, we see, we have the roadmap. The proof is now here. It's not a speculation of, does this work? It's like, we know it works. It works here. It works over here. It's working in Australia. It's working here in New England. It's like, roll it out everywhere, everybody. We, we have the game plan. Let's just do it. <laughs> James Paul says, it's like a battery timeshare, Matt, without the scam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And I, I really hope that other companies start to make Powerwall equivalent kind of things. Lucid Motors mentioned they have some kind of ESS. I want to see that. I want to see other people who have the battery tech or the battery supply start to do this because that is an incredibly valuable um, thing for our future. So my video was on nuclear fusion and I kind of I kind of joked in the video. It's like you either have some sort of a grid, like a stable baseline power generation like nuclear fusion, or if you're going to go solar and wind, then you got to have a lot of batteries. And Here's Tesla saying, forget the future and potentially always 10 years away. Let's go solve this problem now. And it's a really, really cool story. Yeah. One of the last things I want to bring up is about virtual power plants. Part of why I'm super excited about them is they're so much easier to roll out for utility because you don't have to purchase or lease land to build a massive battery pack system on it. And there's no maintenance fees around it. It's because it's in people's homes. It's like you just have to incentivize put this battery in your home and let us borrow it like X number of times a year. And there's no weird licensing or anything going on. It's just, it's so simple to roll it out quickly, get it in people's homes. It's a very, very fast and effective solution. So last story. I want to see more of those. Yeah. So last up is, um, it's a good feel good story about, you know, here's a picture of a Lucid Air and a, and a Tesla looks like a Model Y. And they're getting along because <laughs> this story is about how <laughs> Tesla, Lucid, Rivian, I mean, they just name off some brands, but really EVs in general scored a big win with Connecticut, which has now allowed electric vehicles to sell direct to consumer, much like they are able to do in other states. So before this, people who lived in Connecticut, and if there's anybody from Connecticut in the comment section, we'd love to hear from you. Um, you'd have to go to some other state to buy it. Like, uh, I think we probably met some people at Fully Charged who lived in Texas, who, who were forced to go buy their Tesla in another state and, and bring it back home, which is absurd. But uh, we've, we've talked about in the past, these kinds of, so this is the bill is SB 127 here. These kinds of initiatives are not going to be easy because the, the car dealership lobby is very powerful and far too much of uh, a state's taxes come from car sales, right? I mean, when you buy a new car for $30,000, you're paying three, $4,000 in taxes. And so they are historically a huge contributor to the tax revenue for any state. That's what helps them to yield the kind of power that they do. So uh, to wield the kind of power that they do. So this was a, a huge moment. And I think 
I kind of liken this to the legalization of marijuana. Both just kind of <laughs> seem inevitable, and there's yes. far too much pushback. And, I mean, you can be the lawmaker who's opposing this, and it'll just look bad for you in five years. That's the way I look at it. I'm still hearing pushback on legalizing marijuana, which, again, to me is absurd. Not not you know, everyone's opinions are welcome, and it's good. To me, it just seems like a no-brainer, and, and, and this does too. It won't be easy. It won't make everyone happy. In the article, they cite things like, you know, they're not completely crazy. They mention things like the fact that EVs have no moving parts. The, yes. the motor and drivetrain has like have 20 moving parts compared to 2,000 in a gas car. And what they're saying is a lot of our revenue comes from selling a gas car and then getting all of that reaped uh, maintenance along the way. And all that is kind of gone. And that is true. <laughs> that mm-hmm. There's going to be some disruptions that happen in that in that regard. So um, it's funny that this is still a thing. I, there's there's still a handful of states that are pushing there's back. 10. but ten, 10 states. It's like, it's insane that there's 10 states. But at the same time, 10, only 10. I mean, really, if you look back to the, if we rewound time to the GM EV1 days, and you asked people around that era, like, Hey, how long, how long do you think it'll be before you could do that? People might have really been surprised to hear that only 10 are holding back at this point because we have come a long ways. But yeah, there's there's still a ways to go. And well, it's this, still important to celebrate nine. the victory. So now we're down though. to nine. <laughs> Just nine more to go. It's this whole, this whole, I, I love this story because it's just like, yay, another one down, nine to go. It's just insane to me. It's just, this is where lobbies like, it's like the, the the dealerships have such a stranglehold on this and i get why they're doing this because this is it's their death knell as far as you know dealerships are concerned and they know that because evs are just gonna destroy how they make their money because most of them make their money through service departments and when evs don't need as much service as a gasoline car you're gonna see your profits go down and it's just gonna really hurt their businesses so i get why they're resistant but at the same time it's just such common sense of like i'm a customer i want to buy a car and you're not letting me buy this why can't i buy this car like that's buying it from them directly wait what it's like that makes no sense it's like you can buy your phone directly from apple why can't i buy my car directly from tesla it just makes zero sense so it's it's great to see that it's like another domino falling hopefully the rest of them will start to fall quickly after this once you buy a car online where there's no haggling and no BS, you don't have to call your friend and say, hey, what did you pay for it? You paid what? That And my guy's not off. Once you get rid of all that and you buy a car, it's really hard to imagine going back. Like if we had to buy a gas car for some reason, I think I'd have a thought of the dealer and go, you know what? Forget it. We'll just walk or take an Uber or something. But if you could go back to my screen, there, here, here's a little, um, I highlighted a little section where they talk about this. Um, you know, the, some of the you know, the lobbyists, some of the people, the proponents or, or the uh, the people who are against us say, EVs don't have fan belts, spark plugs, or engines. It has a battery, which isn't exactly the, the equivalent there, but a transmission, radiator, or other things common that ICE car owners would have to take care of. So he says, as a result of this, electric cars don't just uh, uh, just don't that much. Uh, they don't need that much maintenance. Uh, gas cars, corp- corporations hate the thought of these clean, beautiful, reliable electric cars. <laughs> they lobby our lawmakers to keep Tesla and other EV companies <laughs> out of the state just to protect their cash cow. But the dealership's ban comes at the expense of the planet's future and the state's residents. So um, I think that sums it up exactly. Yeah, I think it was David <laughs> I think it was David Pogue that you just read the quote there from. It was, yeah. 
That's okay, I just I I just I, I love that. That's a that's a great that's a great quote. It, it's insane. Yeah, it's, it's just insane. I, 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 it's like I bought my car on my phone and put my down payment using Apple Pay. It's like, and it took two seconds. It was like it was like boom boom. And after it was done, I was kind of like, that's it. I've got my my car's already ordered. This is kind of insane because the last time I did that with buying a car, I had to sit in a dealership for like an hour in like the manager's office, filling out all this paperwork and. <laughs> it was just like, you know, then they would go to a different office and then leave me there for 10 oh. minutes and walk back in and go, yeah, we just talked to the manager and we have, we can do this for you. It's like, just, just, just sell me the car. It's like, I just want to buy the car and get out of here. And this was a completely joyous experience. 30 seconds and I'm done and my car is ordered and I just have to wait for it to show up. Yeah, really. And I, the way the article is written, it's kind of like, there's no moving parts, nothing to break. What are we going to fix? It's yeah. like, yeah, yeah thing what are we gonna do yeah, i feel bad um, for you <laughs> but you know i understand like there's probably some people who have some heartburn thinking about like if you ever see a smog shop like on your you know as you're driving around your town they're not going to be around when we have all evs there's just no reason to and all the little jiffy lube and all the little oil chain shops and stuff um but, you know one thing i was i would say is we used to have to wash our clothes by hand and when we didn't have to do that anymore we just found new better ways to spend our time so i think you know, the, the kinds of companies that are in the business of gas repairs and maintenance now, they're going to have to pivot. They're going to have to go through a little bit of a transition. It's not going to be easy, but I think the future is they're going to figure out um, they're going to figure out how they fit in into the e, into the EV world. And I, I think it'll be better than they think. Yeah. So thanks so much. Uh, and if you haven't already, make sure you hit the subscribe button, the like button, hit that bell so you don't miss out the notifications. We do this live every Thursday night at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. And if you're interested in listening on the go, we have viceversa.show where you can download the podcast. And thanks again to everybody. We'll see you in the next one.